Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Hope you had a good weekend. Wow, a soggy weekend for much of the country, including a lot of places where harvest got put on hold for a rain delay. But it looks better this week for a lot of those areas, while other parts of the country still facing a lot of uh, severe weather from the storms that are brewing and uh, moving inward. And we'll be watching that closely and talk about that with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson, who will join us in a bit to give us a, a look at this week ahead. Also coming up today, we're going to talk about a recent analysis by economists at the University of Missouri's Food and Agriculture Policy Research Institute. That analysis shows that the U.S. ethanol industry could lose 4.6 billion gallons, that's with a B, 4.6 billion gallons of domestic demand and nearly $20 billion in sales revenue over the next six years if EPA continues its current policies on exempting small refiners from their blending obligations under the Renewable Fuels Standard. We will talk about that with the Executive Vice President of the Renewable Fuels Association, Jeff Cooper, a little bit later in the program. Also, a lot of emphasis, a lot of uh, national focus in this Farm Bill debate on uh, hemp because Senate Majority Leader McConnell is certainly pushing that. And um, so we're going to get an update on what another state is doing along those lines. I was at a roundtable, an ag roundtable, which I moderated uh, on Friday in Monmouth, Illinois. One of the guests in that, on that panel was Illinois State Representative Dan Swanson, and he had some very interesting information on what's taking place in the state of Illinois to open the door for farmers to grow hemp. And he'll join us a little bit later on with an update. They're looking closely at what's being done in Kentucky and has been going on there for a while and uh, looking to uh, bring that to the state of Illinois. We'll be talking about that a little later. But right now, we mentioned the Farm Bill. That's one of the top uh, items as we start this uh, week ahead and look ahead with uh, AgriPulse Communications. Editor and publisher Sarah Wyant joins us. Always look forward to talking with Sarah. And thanks for joining us, Sarah. This is a critical week if they're going to get this Farm Bill done this month, right? That's exactly right, Mike, and good morning. It's always a pleasure to be with you, and uh, happy to keep on the Farm Bill watch with you. Uh, The negotiators met last week again a couple of times, and uh, the good news is all four of the major principals are still talking, trying to work out deals. Uh, The bad news is that it doesn't seem to be moving quite as quickly as we had thought, but you know, they've got another big meeting Wednesday, Mike, and so we'll see whether they can kind of get that uh, sweet spot on some of these issues, especially the nutrition title that's going to be continuing uh, a very tough topic for them to find something that both the members of the Senate can pass and the House of Representatives. Yeah, it did not sound as uh, optimistic at the end of last week. Uh, the proposal, the compromise offered by uh, Chairman Conaway on the House side didn't seem to be well received on, on the Senate side. What are you hearing on that? Now, I think there's still uh, a divergence there. And you may have seen that we did a podcast with Representative Steve King, who, of course, is one of the more conservative members of the Republican Party in the House. And we asked him whether he would even be open to having 
the Secretary of Agriculture accept uh, control on some of these state waivers. And he didn't think that conservatives would go along with that because, of course, we don't know who's going to be the next Secretary of Agriculture. If it was Purdue, he thought they'd be okay. But uh, going down the road, they would not. So it's just a a tricky political uh, calculus here for these principles to try to figure out what will get to the necessary votes on in each chamber. Plus, they really still have some differences on conservation and some other key issues, don't they? Yes, they do. Conservation seems to be one where they're just trying to make sure that the, the uh, you know, again, whatever compromise they come up with has to go to the Congressional Budget Office and has to be scored, and so they have to meet within the, that framework of, of making the dollars work. Um, the House version, as you know, um, consolidated some more conservation programs. The Senate version did not. I understand there's still some going back and forth on some of the commodity programs, including the agricultural risk coverage. So so there's a lot of moving parts. But, you know, even if they don't get it done by September 30th when this bill expires, most of the major programs that people are concerned about will continue. There's about 39 that will run out of funding. But uh, for the most part, we can keep the commodity programs going through the marketing year and, of course, crop insurance, which is very important to so many producers especially given the, the bad weather in so many parts of the country that you referenced earlier, uh, that will continue. So um, it, they, if they don't make September 30th, uh, we'll still be okay, but it, it would sure be nice to give people that certainty that they keep talking about if they could get this bill done in a timely fashion. Could the budget battle and threats and talks of a government shutdown, could that kind of push this to the back burner again? Well, certainly, there's so much on their plate, um, not to mention the Supreme Court nominee, who now, you know, uh, Mr. Kavanaugh, the judge that was grilled all last week, uh, those, uh, you know, he will be up for a vote. Uh, you've got all the appropriations bills. You've got other confirmation hearings. Uh, there's just a lot going on, and certainly this week they'll be in session, next week again not. So it, it's kind of a short timetable to get a lot of work done. And, of course, we're also watching uh, what's happening with NAFTA. These two seem to be kind of moving along here and, and at the kind of the same time as far as trying to get something done as quickly as possible. Uh, what are you hearing on NAFTA and, and Canada especially, and is there any movement or any sign of movement on the dairy issue? There seems to be continuing discussions. I think the Canadians are uh, certainly you know, at the table trying to keep the level of rhetoric down. Uh, You probably saw that we reported that the National Economic Advisor to the President, Larry Kudlow, said that it was a four-letter word stopping uh, the progress right now, and that was uh, milk. And uh, so the focus is on trying to get the Canadians to budge on their Class 7 pricing scheme, which has been very detrimental to our dairy producers in this country. So I think the, the dairy folks are glad to see the President pushing back and trying to get a, the Canadians to um, stop uh, this very detrimental pricing scheme called Class 7. Uh, but they've got to be able to get something that can work with their uh, industries back home, too. So uh, I haven't heard that they've made any great progress on that front, but uh, that seems to be the one of the biggest stumbling blocks that's left. Real quick, Sarah, we'll also be watching in a hearing coming up, maybe there's more explanation on this formula that they use for the ag assistance package. 
Yeah, I understand that there are some changes that are going to be taking place, especially um, you may have noticed that there, they, there was just one date for the pork producers in order to submit their production on that day, that that may be something that's going to be changed yet. Um, a lot of folks are still asking why the penny for corn and the buck 65 for soybeans, Mike, that mm-hmm. we broke. Um, and so I think that just trying to get people to understand what all went into those calculations will be helpful. All right, Sarah, as always, uh, we appreciate your time and uh, all the great work that you and your team do at AgriPulse Communications. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Sarah Wyant, editor and publisher of AgriPulse Communications. Up next, look at the weather of the week ahead. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson joins us on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Some of the best sounds you'll ever hear are generic, safe, effective, even money-saving, just like FDA-approved generic drugs. Even if they don't come in the exact same color or shape as their brand name equivalents, they have the same key ingredients and go through a rigorous review process. Talk to your doctor or pharmacist today and visit fda.gov generic drugs. Generics are safe, effective, and can save you money. You'll like the sound of that. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything, editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We paid less for our Craftmatic today than we did 20 years ago. If you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and free information on today's Craftmatic adjustable beds. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Rated number one by consumers nationwide on ConsumerAffairs.com. Craftmatic beds come in all mattress types, including cool gel memory foam, for up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Enjoy temporary relief of low back pain, poor circulation, nighttime heart for mild arthritis. You'll sleep better in a Craftmatic adjustable bed. So if you're still searching for the perfect solution to a good night's sleep, call now for prices and information. And then decide when you see how little they cost. Discover Craftmatic for less, up to 50% less than today's leading memory foam brand. Call 1-800-318-7903. That's 1-800-318-7903. 1-800-318-7903. 
Call now. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. A lot of wet weather end of last week and end of the weekend. What's it look like this week ahead? Let's uh, bring in DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, uh, is the sun coming out? We're going to get some drying conditions for those wanting to get back to the fields this week? Well, uh, the Midwest is going to be drier, Mike. Now, as far as how much uh, actual uh, harvest gets, uh, you know, gets accomplished, I think is uh, a real question, particularly uh, east of the Mississippi, because that's where the heaviest rain was during the end of last week and then through the weekend. Uh, farther west, uh, there will be a few days of uh, uh, still, uh, you know, kind of a, a, a standstill, and then uh, I think harvest could, uh, or at least harvest field work, uh, depending on on what. Uh, each producer needs to do, uh, we'll be able to get uh, going probably by Wednesday, maybe Thursday, and then in the Dakotas in Minnesota, or at least western Minnesota, uh, the uh, chances are a little bit better for progress even uh, this week, particularly in the Dakotas. Uh, We know that there are parts of Minnesota that are going to be very slow in terms of, uh, you know, being able to uh, get underway because... uh, Frankly, that section of the Corn Belt has had a wet season all the way around uh, when it's all said and done. Very spotty uh, and varied amounts on the rainfall. Where I'm at in west-central Illinois, I mean, we had rain, you know, depending on where you're at, maybe two to three inches. A lot of that really soaked right in. Other places, you know, six inches or more, and so it's going to take them a lot longer to dry out. So it just kind of depends on how that played out for you over the last few days. Well, it did, and, uh, you know, the uh, that west-central Illinois area is in uh, a pocket that has been quite dry, relatively speaking, uh, throughout a, a good portion of the summer. You get farther west. We know about the uh, drought that uh, has, uh, has caused uh, some notable production loss in Missouri and Kansas and southern Iowa. Um, farther east, uh, that was, and, and south, you know, that was in my, in my, um, understanding of things after talking with growers, particularly a couple weeks ago uh, in Boone, Iowa, at the Farm Progress Show, that was a section of the Corn Belt where uh, producers were expecting to get going. And in fact, um, a couple weeks ago in Boone, I was told by growers uh, who were at the show from Illinois that in western Kentucky, uh, farmers were starting to combine, and in southern Illinois, they were looking forward to getting started in a pretty short while. Well, a lot of that certainly got put on the shelf. I think the the uh, result of the kind of rain that we saw last week is that, by and large, the idea of early harvest has uh, sort of been uh, replaced with the idea of harvest getting going more on an average track. Because, uh, like I say, there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of acreage that will uh, simply need drier conditions this week in order to firm things up, in order to support machinery, and so it, uh, you know, that rain that we got uh, certainly did uh, throw a, a real complicating uh, feature into the uh, fall schedule. Yeah, we in my area we've had uh, you know some harvesting already take place, and uh, it looks like they'll probably get going again this week. But there is a concern 
uh, Bryce, a lot of that rain, it, it may make it tough. Some of these beans are maybe tough to harvest now because of the rain that's been on them. Could be. Uh, you know, there's, there's any number of complications that happen with rainfall. Uh, field conditions are what I think of right away, of course, because uh, you, you get, you know, the, the basic mud concern along with uh, problems with soil compaction if there's uh, heavy equipment that's uh, run over the ground uh, before it is really in shape, and so you have that sort of thing going on. And then uh, the, the crop uh, condition uh, has uh, quality problems, uh, you know, harvest, uh, harvestability, uh, harvest condition. There could be some moisture issues that come on in, in crops. There's the uh, problem with uh, fungus, maybe showing up late. Uh, we've heard about that. And then with uh, soybeans in particular, uh, you get uh, late season rain on, on a ripe soybean field, then that uh, can lead to the potential for the pod shattering and for the beans to simply be lost. And so uh, at this point, fall rain is kind of a mixed blessing, I think. That's, we're always reminded of that, uh, that saying, you know, no matter how good it looks in the field uh, during the growing season, until it's in the bin, you never for sure. I mean, the things can happen even late, like we're seeing now, some real challenges. We're talking with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, certainly some parts of the country uh, still facing uh, problems, uh, challenges from uh, the tropical storms, hurricanes uh, that are still uh, forming and moving around. Yeah, they really are, Mike. And, and uh, before, before I talk to what we've got about what we've got coming up this week, I, I have to mention that some of this uh, heavy eastern Corn Belt rain during the past uh, five to six days was due to energy from a tropical storm, and that was Tropical Storm Gordon. Uh, once that uh, storm uh, reached the mainland, it weakened, but uh, it still kind of maintained its integrity as a tropical system, and then it got caught up with a, with a pronounced uh, frontal boundary over the uh, Delta and the eastern uh, Corn Belt, the eastern Midwest and uh, help to kind of, uh, you know, put a little bit of an extra kick into the rainfall that developed. And uh, so, you know, we're still getting that impact. And uh, that's now now moving into Pennsylvania and New York State with very heavy rains. Uh, so they've got uh, that going on now. And this week, Hurricane Florence is uh, winding up out in the Atlantic. And it looks like Florence is going to make landfall during this week, uh, possibly as a Category 4 hurricane in the Carolina coast, uh, it's, uh, it's got the potential to be the uh, farthest north Category 4 hurricane landfall uh, event that I think has been uh, going on uh, since, you know, hurricane tracking has been in effect. So uh, it's a, a powerful storm. Uh, the rainfall amounts are just uh, off the charts. Uh, in fact, new categories have had to be put in terms of color schemes. Uh, we're looking at West Central North Carolina, Winston-Salem, Greensboro, that area, possibly having over 25 inches of rain in the next seven days, way far inland. Uh, there is going to be damage to the corn and soybean crops, cotton crops, uh, you know, peanut crops, basically anything that that is uh, being grown in that part of the country is going to be in line for some pretty significant damage uh, with, with this type of a storm. Now, on the, on the other hand, on the other side of it, 
Uh, that's one reason why the interior U.S., the Midwest, and the Plains look to be drier because we know the tropical storms kind of tend to focus a lot of the moisture, you know, just in keeping those storms alive. So there's that back and forth. But the uh, the damaging rains, I mean, my goodness, it's it's hard for me to get my head around that kind of rain that far inland. Yeah, that's going to be a real, real issue for those folks. And, uh, and uh, we'll... Hopefully that uh, they'll they'll stay safe. I know that you know, that's a big concern. And then after your safety, then you're thinking about uh, what about the damage to the crops and and things like that. So we'll be watching that. Uh, meanwhile, back in the Midwest, uh, not only does it look like a drier week, Bryce, but uh, boy, it feels like fall now. It really does. Uh, I I don't think we're going to be having any uh, real cold weather coming on. But temperatures are certainly a lot more seasonal, and, uh, you know, that's helping to, to uh, give the, uh, the prospect for drier conditions to help things out. Um, there is going to be some freeze potential, Mike, in the uh, northern Canadian prairies during the next uh, several days, during uh, the next five days, probably by this coming weekend. I don't think that uh, that's going to make its way far enough south to uh, cause any uh, real concern with uh, you know, with uh, the end of the growing season uh, to uh, cause an adverse impact in that way. We did have some frost occurrences midweek last week in North Dakota and northern Minnesota, but uh, that certainly did not uh, pan out to have a farther south type of move in terms of that cooler condition. I think for a lot of, uh, a lot of us and for livestock, uh, these milder temperatures are quite welcome along with maybe a little bit of a decrease in the humidity levels, and that certainly uh, has been a welcome uh, development. Real quick, for Grand Island, Nebraska this week for Husker Harvest Days? Right now it looks uh, quite dry, mild, uh, temperatures in the low 80s, overnight lows in the upper 50s to around 60. That's pretty good farm show weather. It sure is. All right, Bryce, thanks a lot. You're welcome, Mike. Take care. DTM Meteorologist Bryce Anderson. So some real weather challenges here in mid-September around the country. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk with Illinois State Representative Dan Swanson about uh, some things going on in the state of Illinois that might open the door for some farmers to grow hemp on their farms. We'll find out more about it coming up next. Stay with us. This is AOA Adams on Agriculture. need a car been shopping only to be turned down because of bad credit low credit no credit bankruptcy or divorce guess what today's your lucky day because now you can buy a car truck or suv just about any vehicle it's true bad credit doesn't matter no credit doesn't matter bankruptcy or divorce it just doesn't matter as a matter of fact your job is your ticket to your new vehicle we're auto credit express and we've helped thousands of people just like you antonio h told us great company got me connected and the day i went in i drove off in the car i wanted 100 percent worth your time need a car get started now and drive off as early as today just go to 11 ignoremyscore.com right now that's www.11ignoremyscore.com auto financing the easy way
way. 11ignoremyscore.com. Get started today. Auto financing the easy way. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. In Lean Hog Futures, we are rallying to begin the trading week. We finished higher on Friday. The futures have been rallying on the news of spreading African swine fever in China. The emergence of that disease in more Asian countries and beyond is a case of not if, but when, according to the U.N.'s Food and Agriculture Organization. It says that because pork is produced and consumed by so many Asian countries, the virus moving beyond China is a near certainty. We're trending a nickel to a dollar higher in lean hogs an hour into the day. October 56.62, up 97. Cash hogs being called mixed today. Cash cattle, light to moderate trade, developed in most areas late last week. 107 on a live basis in the south, 170 dressed in the north. Those levels steady with the prior week. October live cattle up 60 cents at 110.55. Feeder cattle trending in a mix, 30 cents on either side of steady. November feeders down 30 at 152.42. For the grain and oil seed sector, positive tone in soybeans and in wheat. A little defensive, though, in corn. New crop December down a penny and a fraction at 365.5. On the upside, daily resistance lies at 369 and three quarters. That'd be the high from September 5th. In soybeans, November 849 and a half, up five and a half cents an hour into the day. On the upside, the 851 and a half high from September 4th is first resistance. A sustained rebound above that ceiling would be needed to generate some bullish momentum. Wheat futures trending three to four higher Chicago, two and a half better Minneapolis. The Dow up 49. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network. I'm Rusty Halverson. I'm here to tell you that your options for getting out of debt have never been better. How do I know? Because I'm Howard Dvorkin, the founder of Consolidated Credit. For nearly two decades, we've helped over 5 million people just like you. And every time we help someone, they all say the same thing. Why didn't I call sooner? If you owe too much money on your credit cards and you feel that you'll never be able to pay it off, don't wait. Simply pick up the phone and find out what our Freedom Quest program can do for you. Reducing your payments by up to 50% is just the beginning, but you have to take the first step. When credit card debt is the problem, we're the solution. Call Consolidated Credit now. As soon as you call, the hard part is over. Call Consolidated Credit now. 1-800-489-7204. 1-800-489-7204. That's 1-800-489-7204. 5701 Sunrise Boulevard, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Licensed debt management service provider, Vermont and New York Banking Departments, Maryland 49, Oregon DM80031. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Last Friday in Monmouth, Illinois, I was moderating an ag roundtable, and one of our panelists was Illinois State Representative Dan Swanson. And we got into the uh, topic of raising hemp and some things going on in the state of Illinois. I found very interesting and wanted uh, Dan to join us uh, today to kind of explain uh, some of the things going on in the state of Illinois. Dan, good to talk with you again. Thanks for being with us on Adams on Agriculture. Well, thank you, Mike. It's a pleasure to be here today. 
Also want to point out that Dan is one of those few uh, legislators, actually a farmer uh, here in the state of Illinois. It's good to have uh, still uh, an ag representative in the state legislature, Dan. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be in the state legislature. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, sixth-generation family farm. With uh, We grow corn, beans, oats, hay, uh, stock cow herd, a couple feedlots for cattle, and then we built two hog buildings of 2,480 head each for so my son and a nephew could be on the family operation with us. So you certainly uh, uh, very much involved in agriculture and have a, a good uh, grasp on the, the issues and the challenges facing uh, those in agriculture today. And, and, Dan, one of the things we are seeing, uh, we know the state of Kentucky has been involved with uh, different uh, projects and uh, efforts to uh, grow hemp, and certainly Senate uh, Majority Leader Mitch McConnell from Kentucky is uh, very active in this uh, Farm Bill Conference Committee right now because that's an issue that he's especially working on. But uh, you were telling us on Friday there's some efforts going on in the state of Illinois that might open the door for Illinois farmers to grow hemp at some point in the future. Yes, and to add with uh, what Senator McConnell has introduced in the 2018 Farm Bill, it's to remove hemp from the Schedule One drug list and actually to make uh, hemp a part of the a commodity in the Department of Ag. So if we can get that 2018 and get that was introduced in the Senate, we'll have to see what comes out of the conference committee. But with that, it, it offers a more um, opportunities for hemp growing within the state of Illinois. Uh, recently, the governor signed legislation to allow hemp to be grown in Illinois, which will give us, a, as a farmer, a, a potential of another diversified crop to add to our crop rotations. Now, there's a lot that you're looking at, I know, in the state as far as oversight, regulations, precautions. Tell us uh, what steps uh, are being taken that go along with this. Well, one thing, Kentucky, and we're very early in our stages, but Kentucky has a license program because of the uh, the scheduled drug list and hemp is on there. Um, they have a licensing procedure for growers to apply annually for a grower's license. And then also the processor has a license to um, process the hemp. And then the universities who do the research within Kentucky also have to go through a licensing process. And one thing about the licensing process, one of the questions asked is, uh, are, do any of your employees have a felony conviction? If so, then you, you cannot apply for a license. But uh, the license is an annual requirement for each of the applicators, or each of the growers, the processors, and the universities. So you're watching closely what has been done in Kentucky um, and then trying to model some of that for Illinois. Is that it? Right. Uh, you know, I'm a, my military career was and built on we don't try and reinvent the wheel. If someone's already invented the wheel, let's, let's try and, and it's working and successful, let's try and, copy that as opposed to trying to develop our own. And uh, I've reached out to Kentucky Ag Department to talk with their hemp manager of the program just to get a feel for where they're at today and how that process is going. So for a farmer in Illinois to grow hemp, what would they have to do? Well, the first thing they would have to do is apply for a license. And uh, once that application is approved, um, they can begin the process. Uh, of course, Part of the university's role in this is to identify what seeds are best suited for our soils within Illinois. 
So we're looking. It's going to be a couple years down the road before we can begin. Uh, most of the common farming practices we use today, as far as drilling our crops in with a drill type applicator or harvesting with a uh, platform head, uh, won't require any real major equipment upgrades. But so that's something we don't have to, um, you know, look at a large investment. But uh, the first process would be to apply. The second thing is to locate the seed for your area. And third, um, get the market for that. Contact the processor to, to set up a marketing plan and set up uh, a requirements with that processing plant. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you about uh, the marketing of, of hemp. What kind of market is there? Do we know? And, uh, you know, because uh, obviously a farmer is going to look at what's my uh, return on this. Is it going to be worth my, my going through all these steps uh, to grow it? Absolutely, and, and that, that market is, you know, based upon the, the need, supply and demand. In Kentucky, um, there's new processing plants. Uh, one was just announced back, I believe, in March. 2018 of opening up a new marketing. Um, here in Illinois, we're basically looking at two types of, of hemp pro, um, products. The first is a seed, and that seed averages anywhere from 800 to 1,000 bushels per acre. And you, is the market price as of 2017 on the numbers I have was 65 to 75 cents a pound. So there's a, you know potential there for um a return on investment. Uh, the second, and that that seed is normally planted with a drill, harvested with a combine head. Um, requires some pretty fine settings on that combine because it is such a small seed. The fiber product is once again normally planted with a grain drill, harvested with the typical hay equipment, field mode, and then once that product is dry, then it's put in a round bale. Yields on that. Um, in Kentucky, anywhere from one to five and a half tons per acre of dry matter, the stem, and price for that's anywhere from seventy to one hundred thirty-five dollars uh, per ton for that whole stem. And you know, then that product then is delivered to that processing plant. We're talking with Illinois State Representative Dan Swanson about uh, Illinois uh, taking steps to open up uh, uh, hemp production in the state. Now, Dan, other than the licensing, is there other oversight that will take place if someone wants to grow hemp? Yes, and part of that oversight is what Kentucky does now is um, when the field, when you apply for your license, you specifically have to identify the corners of the field, and that's where you must plant the crop. Uh, Currently, the Kentucky Department of Ag uh, will do spot checks on that field to make sure that the TH level does not exceed 0.4%. And to clarify, we all understand the marijuana and the hemp, two separate complete plants. And I like to compare it to field corn versus sweet corn, two separate complete plants. Marijuana has a THC value of 10 to 30%. THC in hemp is 0.4%. If the THC increases in the hemp above that 0.4%, then that crop has to be destroyed. Um, Additionally, when the Department of Ag checks your crop, they cannot find any types of insecticide or herbicide uh, used on those plants within that field. 
So when we think about the plant and how do we do weed control, a lot of it's just done through the the canopy of that plant as it grows. Hemp grows anywhere from six to seven foot. Marijuana is usually around that three to four foot height. Will there be limits on how much you could grow? Well, I think the limits until we actually get a a commodity marketing price, I think the limit's going to be based upon that processing plant and what their uh, needs are for that particular type of crop. Um, In Kentucky, as I mentioned, some of the processing plants, uh, for example, in 2016, there were just a couple handfuls of processing plants, and now they're up to over 12 processing plants. So I think that's where our market's going to be driven by the capabilities of that processing plant. And and through that dry fiber, there's the markets are continuing to grow daily from, you know, using that dry product for um, paper to clothing to uh, nutrients, paper products, textiles. Some of those are, are continuing to evolve from the, um, as we learn more about the hemp plant and what some of those fibers can mean for us. So you're gonna, if you're going to do this, you're going to have some uh, you know, special conditions you're going to have to meet. It, it's not unlike other, I guess, uh, specialty crops. There are certain things you're going to have to do different than you would uh, normally do. Right. It's going to be you know, what I would compare it to somewhat as the tobacco um, farming, how some of those acres were controlled by the government, although these are going to be controlled by um, the marketing abilities and the availabilities of our processing plants, uh, where they're located at and what type of product, whether it's going to be a, a seed product or a fiber product, is going to drive what we actually grow on our farms locally. Any idea how much interest there's been shown in Illinois to growing hemp? There's been some interest, um, you know, primarily from the vantage point of another crop. And uh, I've had uh, the Illinois Farm Bureau was very proactive in, in, in working this legislation, have been for the last several years. Um, I was one of the, the speakers on the floor um, for the hemp product. Uh, will it fit in our farming operation, potentially, if we get a local processing plant and, uh, and we can see what those markets are going to do? But, uh, you know, once again, it's how do we fit it into our crop rotation um, what type of soil is we going to be able to put it on? Um, what is it going to be, um, you know, how is it going to grow or how is it going to be treated right. as far as highly erodible land or non-erodible land? So Yeah, lots of questions, but it will be interesting to see if it uh, takes off or not. Dan, good to talk with yeah, you. Thank you very much for the update. Thank you, Mike. Have a great day. You too. Take care. Illinois State Representative Dan Swanson. All right, coming up next, Jeff Cooper, Executive Vice President of the Renewable Fuels Association. Stay with us on Adams on Agriculture. All right, crew, let's get her dug. Honey, you want to give me a hand? I'm planting that tree, remember? No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. 
you must call 811 at least two to three business days before any digging project so you can avoid hitting our essential buried utilities. This includes natural gas and petroleum pipelines, electric, communication cables, and water and sewer lines. So before you do this or this, make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. All right, guys, we're ready for our four season sunroom, and Daddy's gonna get a rec room with refreshments. Oh no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym. My gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room. Weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait. A family hub. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for four seasons now. To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Did you ever look at the stains in your coffee cup and then realize that's exactly what happens to your teeth? Paraswabs is the five-minute solution to get your teeth white without visiting the dentist. This is John Greenhut, the CEO of Paraswabs. And if your teeth are stained from coffee, tea, or smoking, all it takes is five minutes with Paraswabs. In five minutes, you'll see an average of two shades whiter teeth, and in seven days, six shades. It's clinically proven to whiten natural teeth as well as caps and veneers. The secret is a tooth detergent that was developed by Dr. Martin Ginniger that lifts stains off of your teeth. Best of all, there's no messy strips or trays that you have to leave in your mouth for an hour. Just swab your teeth for five minutes and you're done. To try Power Swabs risk-free, call 866-504-0276. That's 866-504-0276. I guarantee your bright white smile will have your friends talking about how great you look. Try it risk-free today. 866-504-0276. 866-504-0276. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button, and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. 
even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. A recent analysis by economists at the University of Missouri's Food and Agriculture Policy Research Institute shows that the U.S. ethanol industry could lose 4.6 billion gallons of domestic demand and nearly $20 billion in sales revenue over the next six years if EPA continues its current policy on small refiner exemptions from their blending obligations under the Renewable Fuel Standard. Here to talk about it with us is Jeff Cooper, Executive Vice President of the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, thanks for joining us. There's been some debate about uh, just how much, if any, impact uh, uh, the, uh, the waivers are having on the RFS both in sales and and uh, also in gallons, of course. Uh, this would seemingly be pretty strong uh, evidence of the damage that is being done. Well, we sure think so, Mike. And, and I think, you know, we look at the uh, data that comes out every week and every month from the Energy Information Administration, and we've been arguing that that data shows uh, pretty clearly that there already has been demand destruction as a consequence of these small refiner exemptions, and and we're seeing softer ethanol blending demand domestically this year than we did last year, even though gasoline consumption overall is up, uh, we're blending less ethanol. And we think uh, the reason for that is is you've got uh, some segment of the uh, refining industry, the small refiners that got these exemptions, uh, sitting back with their feet up uh, because they know they don't need to comply with this year's RFS requirements by blending liquid gallons, they can comply by turning in, you know, the surplus RINs that today are, are trading for 19 or 20 cents uh, compared to, you know, 90 cents where they were last year. So uh, we think there's there's strong evidence that we're already seeing demand destruction, and this new analysis from FAPRI, uh, I think, confirms that this is going to continue, and it's going to get worse as long as EPA continues uh, to, you know, waive RFS requirements for dozens of small refineries. So this gives you more ammunition in your argument with EPA, but so far are you seeing any indication that they're going to change their policy? Well, we haven't seen any indication of that, and uh, frankly we're, we're very discouraged and, and frustrated by that. EPA, uh, in a draft version of the 2019 RVO rule, uh, did acknowledge that they should be uh, and reallocating these small refiner exemptions, and they have the ability and, and really have a method for doing that. Uh, but that draft got scrapped, and they put out a final draft for public comment that did not reallocate uh, small refiner exemptions. And so we, we continue to push uh, very hard on EPA to follow the spirit and intent of the law. And, and when Congress said 15 billion gallons of conventional biofuels, that's what they meant. 
and we don't really care if it's if it's only the large refiners that are responsible for blending that amount or, or whether it's all refiners including these so-called small refineries uh, but 15 billion means 15 billion and if you're going to let the little guys out of their exemptions uh, you need to reallocate those to the larger refiners. Jeff, what are we seeing in the consumption of the higher ethanol blends, E15 and E85? What are those uh, numbers showing us? Well, you know, we, we, we do continue to see a little bit of growth in, in both E15 and, and E85, but it's really slowed down in terms of, of the pace of growth. Um, and with E15, obviously, we, we have the interruption uh, every summer, and, and you know, the, the the limited data that we do have on E15 shows that uh, when the summer driving season begins and that RVP barrier kicks in, we see a, a dramatic drop in E15 consumption. Uh, later this week, September 15th, uh, that uh, that summertime ban ends on, on E15, and so we do hope that that results in, in some further growth uh, this fall and into the winter. Uh, but the lower REN prices that have come as a consequence of the small refiner exemptions uh, and just the, the boatload of, of surplus RENs that are out there overhanging the market have absolutely had a negative impact on E15 and, and flex fuel uh, growth, and, and, and we're seeing that manifest itself in the market today. Meanwhile, for all the comments and, act, and kind of teasing that we're going to see uh, E15 uh, allowed year-round, we still haven't seen it yet. No, and, and this, you know, if you go all the way back to the springtime, we were hearing commitments from the administration that, uh, oh, we're, you know, we're very close to, to granting year-round access for E15. And, and, and at one point we were hopeful that it could even get done in, in time for this, this summer. Uh, well, here we are at the end of the summer, um, and, and we're no better off than we were back in April or May. And so we're, we're very frustrated that we continue to hear commitments uh, and promises from the administration. We, we heard Secretary Purdue um, two weeks ago say, hey, we're expecting to make an announcement uh, you know, next week, which turns out to be last week, and, and we didn't hear anything. That week came and gone, and we didn't, uh, came and went, and we didn't hear anything. So um, it, it is frustrating. We, we do hope uh, that uh, we, we do hear something from the administration very soon about uh, a plan uh, to follow through on these commitments and really initiate a rulemaking on, on E15 year-round access and, and initiate a plan to reallocate uh, these small refiner exemptions because uh, both those issues are, are really uh, doing damage to our industry today. So as I mentioned, there's been debate on just how much damage has been done, but uh, studies like this, uh, I would, you would think would get EPA's attention. Well, you, you sure would hope so. And, and again, I mean, I think these numbers from the study are, are very powerful. Uh, when when FAPRI included the small refiner exemptions in their economic modeling and kind of uh, you know projections of, of the future, I mean, twenty billion dollars in lost sales revenue for the ethanol industry over the next six years is is an eye popping number, and that's you know seven hundred fifty or eight hundred million gallons per year of lost blending demand. That adds up to about four and a half or five billion gallons of, of lost demand over that six-year period. So it, it is quite significant, um, which is what we've been saying. And, and I think to have a third party uh, like FAPRI um, weighing in on this and, and uh, providing their perspective on, on what this could mean to the industry moving forward is, is very important. 
All right, Jeff, thanks for the update. Always good to talk with you. Thanks for being with us. All right, thanks, Mike. Jeff Cooper, Executive Vice President of the Renewable Fuels Association. Well, that wraps it up for today. Thank you for joining us. Have a great day. Join us tomorrow on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.